across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> good afternoon and welcome to Flavour with what's new and good in the food and drink scene in and around Cambridge. I am Matt Bentman and here are Alan Alder and Sue Bailey with details of what's on today's programme. Uh, there's a very smart new hotel in Eddington, the Hyatt Centric, and its food offering, Cota, run by Novi from Regent Street in Cambridge, is based around a powerful wood-fired oven. And with Christmas approaching, many of us are wondering what to buy loved ones. Something coffee-related. Simon Fraser of Hot Numbers talks to us about his favourite means of making coffee. Cambridge Market is always a good place to find new and interesting things. A new food stall recently opened, so we went to check out their wares. And we've also got lots of local food and drink news. But first, let's head over to Eddington, where I spoke with Matt Knight of Novi, and now of Cota too, and chef Charlie Crick Collins about their new restaurant in the Hyatt-centric hotel. It is a beautiful morning, and we are sitting in area of Cotter, which is beautifully light and airy. How did you come up with the design ideas and the location? Because this is quite different from the city centre location of Novi. Yes, that's true. Actually, the hotel and the restaurant itself were designed by Locke, which is the other side of the hotel. It's their design team. So um, we are just uh, kind of occupying the space. So our design input is more from uh, a service perspective, okay, as far as the plates and the, the back bar and stuff like that goes. What is the most interesting part here is, of course, um, your food offering. What are the ideas behind how the food is planning out here? So you obviously get involved in breakfast and a brunch from sort of morning till night service, basically. It is, yes. It is seven days a week, 365 days a year, from 7am till 10pm. So we offer breakfast for the hotel guests and community and then roll into lunch and dinner. So that's nice that it's not an exclusive hotel-style atmosphere that people working locally, mothers dropping or fathers dropping children off at school, they can just pop in for an early morning restorative coffee and so on. Definitely, yeah, we are very much concentrating on engaging the local community as well as the hotel. So you've got a dining side and you've got a bar side, is that correct? We have a dining side and we have a coffee area. So within the restaurant we also have the bar, so we're describing the restaurant more as a kitchen and bar so that we're welcoming drinkers as well as just diners and then we operate the coffee counter which is located in the hotel reception that's open from 7am till 6pm every day. So what types of dishes do you offer because that from a, a flavour listener's point of view is probably going to be the most interesting question. 
Yes. So aside from the breakfast offering, we're describing our food style as wood-fired food. So we have a charcoal uh, josper oven in the kitchen. So a lot of our food goes through the josper to get that nice kind of wood-fired flavour. What is a josper oven for those people who don't know? So a josper oven is effectively an inside barbecue. Yeah, so it's a large charcoal-based, charcoal-fired oven. Okay, so it gives a really lovely smoky flavour which people really enjoy. Yes, exactly. And operates at very high temperature. So it gives that really nice kind of, you know, caramelised flavour as well. Can you give me a sort of flavour of some of the dishes that you've got on offer? We offer a really nice char-grilled chicken with a potato terrine and a lovely kind of barbecue jus. We also have a pork chop which was a dish that we've just upgraded on the menu. We also have some steaks, do a cauliflower steak, and some other vegetarian and vegan options as well. What are you finding? Because you've not been open for very long, have you? How, how long has it been? No, we've been open for six weeks now, so since the end of September. That's not long. And how are you finding this number of people coming out from Cambridge to eat here? Or is it more people who are staying in the hotel so far? Currently, we think that we're engaging the community more than the hotel because the hotel is still growing in their occupancy rates. So uh, once the hotel hits their target occupancy, then I think we'll have a, a, a better balance. But at the moment, yeah, Cambridge people, local Eddington people and, you know, the people of Girton, Huntingdon Road, we'd consider them as our locals. Oh, that's rather nice, because there's not so much on Upper West Side, if you like, of Cambridge, is there? No, that's true, yeah. There's a couple of good kind of gastro pubs. That's it, really. Would you say you're trying to replicate middle of Cambridge offering on the outskirts of Cambridge? Yes, I mean, I'd say that the hotel and the restaurant is quite a kind of modern environment. So, yes, so it is very different to anything else locally. And I would say, yeah, it's more city centre-esque or... London-esque than it would be Cambridge Village. And I like the idea that you've got sort of seating up at the bar because obviously in Covid no one was allowed to sit or stand at the bar but it's rather nice to add that as part of the overall atmosphere. Yeah, seats at the bar, also really nice booths that um, run opposite to the bar so it does make it feel like a really nice space. What would you say would be your approach for Christmas coming up? Have you got any Christmas parties booked in yet or is it a bit early for... No, we do. Getting known. We have a, a couple of really good Christmas parties, actually. We've got the local school who are coming to us, so that's a big party. A couple of local firms as well. So we've got a Christmas menu, which we're a three-course menu, and, and we're open on Christmas Day as well, so we will be doing a, a Christmas Day menu, which is hopefully going to be finalised this week and be available on the website. We're going for a relaxed, warm, welcoming service style and, and casual dining service style and menu. Obviously, we are a, we're a new restaurant. It's very exciting time for us moving into spring and summer of next year we've got an outdoor courtyard area and also a roof terrace seasonally at the moment we're not activating those spaces but when we are able to when the weather becomes warmer then i think cotter is going to become a very exciting larger place to come and a nice kind of retreat from the from the city center well, i'm looking forward to the sound of the roof terrace come the spring that sounds really yeah. good okay so i'm going to be talking to Charlie Crick Collins, who 
is the head chef of Cotter. But before I start talking to you, Charlie, can you just remind me, where does the name come from, Cotter? Because it's a really unusual name. So the name comes from, a Cotter is a Finnish hexagonal hut. People gather in the hut to community dine on an open fire, drink and party. That sounds a really yes. lovely way of describing it. So that's the, hopefully the vibe that you're wanting to engender here. Exactly, yeah. I think it encompasses our kind of concepts of the wood-fired food, the social dining, and the general atmosphere of the place. Hi, Charlie. So you're the person in the kitchen who is responsible for this lovely cotter concept. The food side, yeah, that's, that's my role. So tell me a bit more about why is it that this wood-fired concept has become so popular do you think i think it's just a very sort of unique way of cooking things i think it has a really nice flavor it also locks in all that moisture when you cook it because it's quite a quick process a lot of people are doing it and i think we decided to do it you know a long long time ago and sort of just by chance a few other places popped up and are doing a similar thing we love it like burning things a lot so tell me more about this josper oven because i'm really intrigued it's basically like a massive barbecue and you can put all sorts of different fuel on there. You can use wood, you can use charcoal, whatever you really want. And it just it can get to an incredibly high temperature. I mean, I think ours goes way past 700, 800 degrees. And we have, don't have it sitting on that the whole time. But if you really want to, you know, get some really strong bar marks or you know, have a really nice caramelised piece of meat, it's, yeah, it does that. But because it's enclosed as well, so you can also... Like you can do sort of baking on it, so we use it for making little naan breads as well. Very versatile bit of kit. What about trends, would you say, to vegan, vegetarian food? Does that give extra challenges to you? I mean, I've always thought veganism was a really great challenge. I mean, I really enjoy cooking it. I've done vegan tasting menus. And I'd say that sometimes I think the vegetarians get left behind a bit. It's all vegan. There's nothing vegetarian. So here we're trying to, to cater for vegans and vegetarians, whereas at Novi, our sister restaurant, where I was the head chef previously, half the menu was plant-based and there wasn't really anything vegetarian on there. Um, whereas here, we're sort of going more for a half meaty quarter-quarter. We're always open to requests, and if anyone rings us up and says coming for a special meal and they'd like something in particular, we are open to do things. Like I say, I mean, done vegan fine dining as well. I mean, I think in the city, certainly the trend is, is booming. There's lots of new vegan restaurants opening all the time, and they're all really busy. So I think it's, everyone's got to be in it, otherwise you're going to miss out. Where were you working before you were working at Novi? Before Novi, I was working for the Tate. Tate Modern, Tate Britain. And I was actually in their only kitchen, not in a Tate Museum, which was the Fitzsully Museum. I was leaving the kitchen there, and you know, it was a nice, nice little cafe. We were quite busy, but then in the evening we'd do canapé events up to 600 champagne and canapés, and we'd do sit-down dinners for 100 as well. And it was a really nice environment. But there as well, I sort of more learned the management side of running a kitchen, which I think is something that you don't often get taught in these big places. So I found that really beneficial for my role at the moment. And how long were you at Novi before you moved? Here. I actually was originally the sous chef at Nova when they first opened eight years ago and I was there with the head chef. I left there and then I joined again at the end of lockdown three. So I wasn't there that long. So it wasn't long at Nova that long but the idea of Nova was to get it set up again because they had a run of uh, issues really with, with chefs and with the menu. When I started Nova seven years ago the original concept was small plates and they've sort of gone away from that and I'd, I thought about it for, for years and years like what would I have done if I had more control of the menu and vice versa and then when we went back I decided to launch that again with Matt and I think it's it really works now and you know we've got a couple of really good guys in there who are producing some fantastic food really really proud of Novi it's good what's going to be your challenges for next year would you say next year I think it's all going to be about settling the team 
obviously run up to Christmas now. It's we're all pretty busy, but we've just about got a full-time team now. And it's just sort of progressed them, you know. Quite a few of them are junior team members. And I think as the menu develops, the team will develop as well. There's no point running before you can walk. So I think expect big things, really, because we've got, I'm really happy with the menu here. But I think we have got a little way to go before it's quite where I want it to be. But we need the team to be supporting that as well. We've got a really good sous chef, a guy called Paul, who's really helping me at the moment to drive some new dishes forwards. We put on two new dishes last week. We're going to change two dishes next week. So it's constant, constant development process. But there's no point doing it if you haven't got the support around you. And I'm lucky to have that with my team. What about local suppliers and seasonality? How important is that? you well i think seasonality is really really important and that is one of the reasons why we do change the menu so often because you know things go out of season local supplier wise i use a really good guy called mikey malloy malloy's craft butchery at uh, number three bus stop station road he's fantastic and he gets this really good quality ex-dairy beef i've used a veg company called anglia produce for a number of years now it's my fourth time i've used them and they're really good and they'll, they'll send out lots of information about what's really good in season like this month and next month and I have quite a strong relationship with the guy Adam who, who's the rep there and he always helps me. And then fish wise, we've just started using a guy called Will who has got a direct contact with day boats in Cornwall I and mean, he'll ring me up the day they land it and he'll say, oh, what do you want then? We've, this is landed today or this or this or this and we'll pick it literally straight off the boats and then he'll drive it down to us and yeah, it's fantastic quality fish, amazing oysters. I think last week we had lemon sole. This week I think we've got some little uh, John Dory's coming. And it's just keeping it fresh, keeping it what's available, you know. There's no point getting something from far away when you can get it really close. I think that's even more sustainable, I think, than plant-based food, to be fair. Another great place to try. Yeah, well, it does sound good. I'm, I'm pretty stylish, I think. It's really nice. And the outside area, it's a lovely sort of garden area, pretty lights inside. It's sort of industrial, slight industrial, but also very stylish and comfortable vibe. Really liked it. Mm, right. <laughs> Right, now details of free food available in and around Cambridge. The information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app, which exists so that people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. That's right, and a quick skim of the Olio app tells us that Ellen in Mill Road has some organic fair trade raspberry jam to give away. She can leave it outside on the windowsill for anybody who's interested. And Noor, who I think lives in Great Knighton, that's between Adderbrooks and Trumpington, has a box of caramel flavour cake mix going spare. There are stacks of items also, which they say have just gone. Uh, in other words, from five minutes ago to five hours ago, so you have to be quick. Uh, this includes uh, a bunch of fresh bananas from Chris on Newmarket Road, whilst both Regina and Carol had loads of food collected from Pret-a-Manger. Lots of fresh, unsold croissants, flatbreads, baguettes, sandwiches, even soups and muesli bowls. So, plenty of good free stuff available, always on Olio. Right, and there's another free app which is called Too Good To Go and that has unsold food from restaurants and shops and it's often at less than half price. And they don't specify each leftover item. The surplus food is just packaged as a magic bag and it's ready for you to take home and that's instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading. And on to our first news roundup now. Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, is doing a local pop-up tasting menu this coming Tuesday and Wednesday. There are still spaces available. Check out the Foraging Chef website for details and booking. Online booking closes at midnight tonight, however, so email steve at theforagingchef.co.uk if you miss this cut-off. 
Big news for fish lovers. The fish butchery at number two uh, Mill Road has just launched Fresh Fish Friday. Uh, you get a box of fresh fish for £30 in November. That's an introductory price. It's worth £50. The box contains fresh cuts of fish as well as Finn Boy's fish sausages, which are fantastic. And there's enough for 16 portions. Uh, you just order by Wednesday to pick up on Friday. Order by emailing info at finn-boys.com or phone Cambridge 354-045. In December, the introductory price will be over, but Fresh Fish Friday will continue. And following up on our COP26-related feature from last time, Cambridge Sustainable Food has a Food for Our Future e-recipe booklet available. It's on the website and it includes dishes by Rosie Sykes. Full Circle in Norfolk Street has a vegan blue cheese available. You can buy it over the counter by click and collect or by delivery. See the website for details. Flourish, the organic vegetable farm near Linton, is running some monthly volunteer days over winter. The next one is 24th November, then 15th December. As well as getting lots of fresh air, seeing how Flourish works and meeting like-minded people, you get a vegetarian lunch and some produce to take home. Send a direct message via Instagram if you're interested or email office at flourishproduce.co.uk. Congratulations to Pudini, who celebrated their 10th birthday on Wednesday. Based in Willingham, it operates supper clubs and it has a Christmas Day dinner for you to enjoy at home. Details for that are on the Pudini website. And also congratulations goes to the Edge Cafe. It's their fifth birthday this year. Uh, congratulations too to the local pubs making it into the Good Beer Guide 2022. Appearing in the list for the first time are the Elm Tree and the Royal Standard in Cambridge, the Boot in Dullingham, Three Tons in Great Abington, the Hare and Hounds in Halton and King William IV in Histon. Camera's Cambridge Pub of the Year is the Haymakers in Chesterton. Other local pubs in the list are Cambridge 105 Radio's locals, the Alexandra Arms, Blue Moon and Cambridge Blue. And there's also the Geldart, Devonshire Arms, White Swan and Red Lion. In Newton, the perennial favourite Queen's Head and the Bank Micropub in Willingham, congratulations to you all. Cambridge Vinopolis's tasting this Wednesday is the Wines of Armenia, which rivals Georgia as the oldest wine-producing region in the world. Tickets are £30, and the premium champagne tasting on the 8th of December is now full, but Cambridge Vinopolis has organised an additional champagne tasting on the 9th of December. Uh, Cambridge Vinopolis is in Devonshire Road. Noel Young Wines has a Christmas wine tasting in its wine bar from 11 till 5.30 on the 11th of December. There are 12 wines to taste, including fizz and dessert wines, and there will, in addition, be other seasonal specials open, such as ports, sherries, local spirits and beers. Cambridge Wine Merchants has some seasonal reductions of up to 25% on wines, fizz, fortified wines, special cases and spirits. The Wine Rooms in Hills Road has tastings on Wednesday evenings from 6 till 7pm. These are now ticketed, by the way, and they need to be booked in advance via the Wine Rooms website. Gutter and Stars Chardonnay, called Daylight Upon Magic, is now available. Deliveries are made locally and nationally. And we'll have more news later, but now, coffee. At good roasteries like Hot Numbers in Shepreth, a lot of work goes into roasting the coffee to perfection. 
But how do you get the best out of the beans once they've been roasted? Some methods, like having a home espresso machine, are really expensive, while others are far, far cheaper. But are they any good? Well, let's find out. We start the story with Simon Fraser of Hot Numbers at their Shepherd Roastery and at the coffee roaster itself. Right, what's happening here, Simon? We're roasting a bit of coffee on the, on the geese and the 15 kilo coffee roaster here. So it's, it's got a traditional gas burner underneath. Oh, yeah. And then we drop the green the beans in yeah. at the top. The whole process takes between sort of 10 and 12 minutes, depending on the coffee. And it's controlled by a computer, so we, we, we have a profile and we put a recipe in and we constantly taste the coffee to check its, you know, for sweetness and that a particular coffee tastes best it can. And then we're able with the computer to replicate that, those batches. Right. So yeah. That's extraordinary. I can't smell the roast. The smell of coffee doesn't develop till, you know, a little bit afterwards. So, and if you put it in a tub and then you immediately open the lid, then you'll smell that sweet coffee flavor. But the sugars are still developing in the roast. So it's like a big chain reaction of sugars as you cook it. Um, so you're basically cooking coffee beans, you're baking them in an oven. And it's like a glorified tumble dryer. So you've got your gas flame underneath and the drum is rotating around the flame. So we put, say, 12 kilos in a 15 kilo machine because it dries better, it, it, it cooks better. Then after they're ready, we pull them out at a given time, a given temperature. Um, and now they're in the drum and they're cooling. So air is being sucked through this drum. And it's cooling them. And then it's going out of the exhaust. So the air is being sucked through at quite a rate and it's cooling very fast. And, and the reason is if we, if we didn't cool them, they carry on baking and, they, and the sugars would develop, but it would lead to quite a flat tasting coffee. And, and you'd get these baked flavors. So you'd lose the sweetness from the coffee. You know, it's not just coffee coffee. This isn't a nice speciality kind of interesting flavors that we get excited about here. So, yeah. Right, okay, well I can't wait to find out how to get the best out of our coffee. Beans. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Look forward to brewing some up. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Simon, to make a really good cup of coffee at home, a lot of people will shell out on an espresso machine, and I guess a few people think of buying them as presents for Christmas. But there are good, cheap alternatives, aren't there? There are, and I feel that the best coffee that you can possibly make is just through a, a very simple means, through filter coffee. Some of the most exciting coffee. What better than an espresso, then? Personally, I feel that. Um, espresso can be very expensive and very inconsistent to deliver a good espresso, but it's a completely different product also. So, I mean, it came about from sort of Cafe Express. Um, so it's making coffee fast. And in order to do that, you had to, you know, you had to use a machine with pressure and grind really fine to increase the surface area of the bean so that the, the water passing through it happened, you know, in a very short space of time. So it was done under pressure and it took about 30 seconds to deliver, which is where the name Cafe Express came from, and then it was shortened to espresso after that. So, Because you've got fine grains, you need the pressure to get the water through quickly. It's exactly that. It's a quicker process. So, so what we're doing in filter brew methods is we're slowing that whole process down. We're, we're, we're grinding coarser and extracting for longer. In espresso, it's the opposite. So we're grinding right. uh, finer and, and extracting under pressure so, so it can deliver coffee faster. And it was all done under a, on a budget, really, so they could, you know, people wanted coffee fast um, and for a cheap price. So espresso was invented because of that. But in reality, now the machines are very expensive um, and, the, and you need to know what you're doing to get the best from it. I think that's the fairest way to put it. 
people who really geek out on machinery and things like myself I really enjoy it but it is hard you know it's a harder brew method and you you've got to be committed to get the best from it um, so there's a place for lots of methods and and if you want to commit to to making espresso it is a journey um, that you have to be aware of yeah okay so this looks like quite a nice simple method can you take us through it yes this is my favorite brew method we're doing a v60 dripper here and we've just got a, a nice hand grinder here now, not particularly expensive so you know uh, between under 30 pounds and we're gonna we're gonna brew up a nice coffee with it it's, it's a good idea to sort of grind just before uses it absolutely i think the best method is to grind fresh and it's not particularly expensive to get a hand grinder so i always think that's a necessary part so you're you're breaking up the bean and releasing the flavors and the oils the minute it's ground so it really does have a life of about you know i mean really it's losing flavor every time you can smell the coffee it's losing its yeah. flavor to the air so you want to encapsulate that as long as you keep it in an airtight bag it's okay for a week or so but Ideally, if you're really into your coffee, you'll have a dedicated grinder. So I'm just going to weigh out here. In this case, I'm going to put 16 grams of coffee. So I'm just zeroing the, the grinder on the scales here, and I'm just adding the beans until I get 16 grams into there. And I'm going to grind all of that now, so I'm, I know that I've got 16 grams of ground coffee out. So here we go. Right, okay, so. <laughs> so that was a commitment. I, I enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. Sure, agree. There's no better That's smell good. than That's that. Good. So we know that coffee's fresh. And, and, uh, and the, the, the grain size is like sand. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got a sort of you know medium to kind of coarse sand here. I like to say it's a medium degree. It's not sticking together. If it's clumping together, you're more in espresso territory that we're going to have water passing through it for three to four minutes. And so we want to extract enough, but not too much. If we otherwise we'll be sort of more in espresso territory and probably taste quite bitter so yeah we want to get the nice flavors from the coffee and this is the way to do it okay so stage two is we've got our boiling water here we've got a pouring kettle so this is just off boil so hopefully this is in the the mid 90s sure i've got a paper filter and i'm just going to rinse out the paper filter just to heat that that will heat the jug up and actually Get rid of the the paper taste that might be present in in there it's just a, a a nice thing to do you don't have to do this process but um it's always good practice okay it just prepares everything yeah then pour in all of the coffee there give that a shake and so we we've got our coffee in there we're going to add our water here right you weighed out your coffee so you must be weighing out your water as i'm well. weighing out the water as well yeah so we're going to end up with 250 grams of water in there. You don't have to weigh this, but seeing as we had the scales handy, we do this. But you certainly don't have to do this at home. It's just a yeah. <laughs> you get used to yeah, yeah. You, you get used to it, and, and I don't. You know, I, I I I tend to weigh out the coffee, but not the water. So I'm pouring little and often. Yeah. So that the water is always covering the grinds, but it's not high and dry, if you like. So the risk of pouring too high is that the all of the grinds make their way up the side and, and so how long does the pouring process take then about between three and five minutes it's very simple it's a very simple process i, I like this process because it's uh, it's engaging it's like a ritual every every morning and i have my nice hand grinder and a kettle and, so, and a bag of fresh coffee and <laughs> what more do you need you just need a bit of time and I, I like the ritual of doing that each morning it gives me pleasure and i can smell the coffee while i'm doing it it's just like when you 
you, you, you know, you use nice ingredients and you put a bit of love into it. And, and I'd prefer that. that I'd prefer to make it every day than if it was just presented to me. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. You're obviously not in a great rush in the morning then, or are you doing something else well, between a, pouring? There's always time for coffee. There's always time for coffee. <laughs> in the same way as, say, people like trying different beers or different wines, mm. do you like trying different types of coffee? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of different flavours from different regions, and, and how we roast the coffee as well really affects the, the, the taste on a given coffees. But for home, this is the method I would okay. recommend any anybody either on a budget or or just you know i think filter coffees had a particularly bad name in the past because people are used to sort of you know um (laughs) brewed coffee percolated coffee that's been brewed badly using a cheap coffee and the recipe hasn't been correct and it's been sitting on the side for huge lengths of time and it's got a bad rap because of it so I mean, I'm excited to educate people. I'm hope, hopefully listeners listening to this might give it a shot, but to, to just buy a bag of coffee, watch a few YouTube videos, hopefully pick up some tips from this as well, and, and mm-hmm. I just encourage you to get brewing, and it's the, the cheapest brew method around, and it's the best, I believe. Right. You know, it, it's cleaner in taste. You can, you can evaluate more the, the fruit flavours of the coffee, and it's less intense than you know yeah. the, than the cafetiere method uh, therefore I believe that this is a, a better method personally but everyone has their opinions and some people like strong coffee and this V60 this sounds like a, a type of motorbike but, uh, <laughs> but actually it's quite modest it's a plastic funnel it's yeah. a plastic funnel yeah and, and a filter paper and you can even um, you know if you don't want to use paper filters you, you can get some metal filters as well which you can reuse right. so yes um, this is all compostable as well you know put that in the in the compost and it'll all compost down which is good we do that at hot numbers as well a nice filter dripper yeah save yourself some money and make a better coffee great okay thanks very much simon you're welcome what a pleasure it is to visit somewhere that works so hard to get things right it's an inspiring place Hot Numbers and the one in Shepreth is always buzzing. It's a great atmosphere. And Simon Fraser said that when he took it on, he really envisaged it as being the roastery with a small cafe. Now, however, it's a roastery with a fantastic bakery and a big cafe. Very inspiring. We'll head for a two-minute break now. And after the break, we're going to be back with Dave Fox talking about autumn suggestions for what to do on the allotment. And also a new stall, a new artisan bakery, in fact, on Cambridge Market. So we will see you in two minutes' time. Cambridge 105 Radio. Join me, Neil Jones, every Tuesday here on Cambridge 105 Radio for the very best from the world of rock. Every week we'll bring you big name interviews, all the latest from the local scene here in Cambridge and the very best rock songs around. It's two hours of rock every single Tuesday from nine o'clock with me, Neil Jones, right here across the city in South Cambridgeshire on Cambridge 105 Radio. Need dropping off at work? Miss the bus and must make that urgent appointment. Need picking up after a night out with your mates? Panther Taxis is your Cambridge-based taxi firm with over 700 drivers, offering great rates and local knowledge, ensuring you make it quickly and safely to your destination. We don't inflate our prices at peak times, and all our drivers accept payments by cash or card. 
Book your taxi the easy way. Download our free Panther Taxis app through your app store and start booking your taxis on the go. Call Cambridge 715715 or see panthertaxis.co.uk. Panther Taxis, your local quick, reliable and friendly taxi company in the city. CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Sarah, one of CKLG's friendly tax advisors. Creating and preserving wealth is an aspiration for many of our clients. In our complex world of changing legislation and family circumstances, we listen and provide you and your family with bespoke tax advice tailored to your needs. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk CKLG Accountants your partner in business your partner in life Cambridge 105 Radio Welcome back to Flavour Now, Remy Puchaves is a Spanish lady Well, she's from the outskirts of Spain and she runs one of the newest food stalls on Cambridge Market It's called Pastim They sell breads, rolls, muffins, cakes. They sell lots of things. And they're always experimenting, whether that's with new flavours, even new slices, new sizes. I met with Remy last week. It was only her fourth day running the stall. So you have two baguettes, four pan of chocolate, and one focaccia. Perfect. Thanks to you. Thank you. Have a nice day. You too. too. My name is Remy Puchades. It's everything for you, yeah? Thank you. We are Pastim Artisan Bakery. The brownies look different compared to last week's. <laughs> the last week's? I don't know what you put in it, but it tastes different. Yeah, it's the ripe flour. Oh! It's not wheat flour, it's ripe flour and it's brown sugar. It's not white sugar. Mm. All my life I was baking and I was a chef. And you put a lot of chunks into it. Chocolate yeah, chunks. It's almost like eating chocolate. Mm. Yeah, it's chocolate. You know why? Because we are new and we are just trying the things as we can. I am from a family of four generations bakers. So is this like fluffy this time? Yeah, it's really fluffy. Fluffy. Can I have a slice of that? Yeah, of course. But I love baking more than cooking. (laughs) That's why I decided to open a bakery, yeah. The name of her stall, the name of her business, Pastim, is the Catalonian name for bakery. It's a family business. All their breads, sweet and savoury, are made at their production unit in Milton, made with hands that are the latest in a baking lineage. My nana started a bakery last century. My uncle opened a bakery as well in a neighbour town. And now, in Spain, he has 18 bakeries. And we are here and we are baking, so continuing that. Continuing the tradition here at Cambridge Market. Rye bread and sourdough, both. Okay. So she's shopping from yeah. here, from myself, to do presents for her bosses. <laughs> so I'm going to do perfectly baked. They she, love she, it. And it's lasting a lot. It's lasting more than the commercial one because when you use organic flour and you use long processes of proving, that makes the lactic acid, which in small measures is really, really healthy. Mm as well lasting really longer. For example, today you can use for a week because you toast them and they are perfectly, you know? The best seller that we have is the sourdough, is the bread, yeah? We do sourdough, spelt sourdough, all organic, 
baguettes. And the rye bread is gorgeous. It's one of our signature things because we always wanted to do a rye bread for loads of people from the East, even English people as well, like the taste of the rye. So we do light rye. We wanted to do pure rye bread and we think that it's one of the products that we are really proud of. Are you okay? Yeah. Today is uh, thicker than usually because I baked in a small tin. Okay. Great. Thank you very Thanks much. So much. Thank, Thank you. you. On the sweet part is a kind of traditional old way baking, like bake wells, apple pies, apple cakes, fruit cakes in general, banana loaf, which is done with butter. That is uh, back to the English way. We do as well cinnamon roll. We do not instead of uh, rolls because I think it's more fancy. It's just that. <laughs> it's more visual. I really love the, I mean, it's so thick. The lemon and poppy seed drizzle cake you've yeah, got here is yeah, fantastic yeah, yeah. It's, looking. It's really lemony, really oh, yeah. lemony with fresh lemons. You can see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's really tasty as well. But as well, modern things like brownies, donuts, all of this kind of thing, vinocery, yeah. Had much time to meet or speak to any of the other traders? Of course, of course, I'm speaking with everyone. <laughs> My neighbor is Italian. You can imagine an Spanish and an Italian speaking together. So that is, that is what uh, happened. Roberto. Roberto, the Roberto's Delis, is, uh, is a really nice man. He helped me a lot. He and Jen, they are so lovely people. The paellas, because he's from my country and he's from a town, which is just six kilometers to my town. So we are neighbors in Spain and we met here. Yeah. And Chris from the veggie stall as well. And we tell, I don't know who else. Of Just people. to the right of you here, we've got Alex who does the bagels. The bagels, yeah. yeah. I met him as well. And next to him. Les. Les from yeah. the from the sauces, yeah, from the yeah. NT summer chilies. All lovely people, full of jokes, full of joy as well, yeah. And also I noticed that uh, your arm is always moving when you talk. Yeah, <laughs> Spanish thing. We move everything when we talk. Yeah, yeah, the people contain themselves, but I cannot. Sorry. Que muevo mucho las manos cuando hablo, yo digo que sí. Yeah, I didn't notice, but you noticed. I think this country had a very, very great culture about the food. But for circumstances, every single culture in the world now is losing their identity a bit. So now the bread is one of these things that this country is waking up to. It's appreciating the good bread, the handmade, the small companies doing their own products. Yeah, there is a, a huge interest in these products now. And yeah, that's why I'm baker. <laughs> Thank you, Remy. Thank you very much. And we are here at Pastim, Remy's food store, opposite M&S at Cambridge Market. And you're listening to Flavor on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hasta luego. Well, fresh on the market, uh, another of Remy's big sellers is her Bramley apple and pecan cake. It's made with olive oil rather than butter, making it more moist, and in her words, gives it another kind of flavour. And you can see all of her wares, by the way, on Instagram. Just type in Pastim. P-A-S-T-I-M underscore Cambridge.
Right, and uh, more news now, starting with some Christmas goodies. And this is really rather exciting. Bumble and Oaks Adventure Boxes are back and orders open this coming week. The boxes include chocolates from Jade at Backsize Bakehouse, Bumble and Oak herself, Anissa and Chocolate, and there are soft drink samples from Sam Archer at Vanderlyle. Of course, his drinks are extraordinary. Gingerbread from Meadows, artwork from local artists and vouchers to spend at some local independent cafes and there are other delights too. Order from Bumble and Oak via Instagram. There will be only 50 boxes available so I'd get onto it as soon as you can. And Gog Magog has seven Christmas hampers to choose from full of festive flavours. <laughs> there are vegan and alcohol free options too. A reminder from the Cambridge Cheese Company that you can order for Cambridge via its website. The last day for collecting or delivery is the 17th of December. They have some nice sale items at the moment too, including some olive oils, balsamic vinegars, chilli sauces, pasta, tin tuna and harissa. The Cambridge Cheese Company is open for late night shopping for the next three Wednesdays and that's from 5 till 7pm. Corinne Paillet of Gourmandise is running a Christmas Tarts virtual class on the 2nd and 12th of December, both from 6 till 8pm. It's £39 per device, so the family can join in too. And you'll be making sweet shortcrust pastry, a creme patissiere, a chocolate ganache, a frangipan and crumbly and nut toppings. There are new opening times for Thrive in Norfolk Street. Check their social media for all the details. And tonight, Saturday, there's an acoustic night. Tickets on the door with tapas from 6 till 8 and half-price beers from 5 till 6. Book table reservations by emailing reservations at thrivecambridge.com. And there's a pre-Christmas treat on the 25th of November at Parker's Tavern. It's Bridgemas, where you can celebrate Christmas with the people that you might not be able to see on Christmas Day. The menu includes deep-fried brie with Cumberland sauce, brick-cooked turkey with truffle sprouts, mince pie donut with double citrus mincemeat. Very intriguing. You can book on the Parker's Tavern website. Yeah, Tristan Welsh cooked a deep-fried brie and Cumberland sauce on his Thursday Instagram cook-along this week, uh, which you can still catch up with. Very entertaining. And the sauce would be a nice accompaniment to many things, like ham and venison, possibly sausages. It looks really nice. Well, over now to Trumpington Allotments, where Alan met Dave Fox yesterday and got some November advice from him. Dave, you've been doing some harvesting, I see. Yeah, it's quite pleasing. Just got a, a carrot out of one of my boxes. This is 23 centimetres long, <laughs> and it's a fine carrot with no fly damage. So um, very pleased with that. It's better than the carrots I grow in the ground. So th- this was grown in you know one of those old recycling boxes. If anyone's lived in Cambridge for more than a decade or two will remember them uh, they're quite deep so you fill them with um, usually spent compost that I've grown tomatoes in before and uh, sow carrots in the spring and they get a good clean growth nice nice and deep without any stones getting in the way because as you'll know on we do have a, we do have a few stones getting in the way of the root veg so yeah that, that's that's a good one and my carrots growing in the ground were quite well quite good as well so I've taken them all up because I don't want the um, pests to get at them uh, well, things like slugs is up. Yeah. And then we've got some parsnips. Uh, this is a clump of parsnips. You, you might remember probably a few marches ago we, um, we would, we'd have been sowing parsnips and I'd have been showing you how I sow parsnips, three or four seeds in one, in one station. And then the idea is you 
come along after a, a month or two and pick out all, all the seedlings except the strongest one to, so you get one nice big part this is what happens if you don't do that and you grow four parsnips close together and they're all right one's medium size the others are a bit smaller but they're all fairly clean they've got a little bit of um sort of cankerous disease and splitting towards the towards the top of the crown but just cut that away there's plenty of useful um plenty of useful parsnip um there so again quite they they're, they're quite promising but as with as with all root veg of course it keeps its secrets to itself until you until you dig it up you never you never know quite what's coming so um that's promising anyway because obviously we're planning for christmas dinner one of the highlights of the uh, veg growing calendar got to supply the parsnips and the sprouts and uh, actually the red currant jelly this year as well so um also i've been harvesting some calabrese I've got a small handful here. I've actually got a lot more still on the plant, and this is really pleasing. So, this is what some people call it uh, broccoli. It's summer broccoli, also called calabrese. And I grew these, sowed in April, harvested them in harvested the big heads in August. But those plants are still producing side shoots, and, and that's what I'm still harvesting now. So, what's that? Um, four or five months of, of almost continual harvest from the same plants. Um, and I think that's really good value. I've still got them protected from the pigeons over there and they're still producing side shoots. I've had success with that this, this sort of Calabrese crop, crop before, but this is even better this year. Uh, the variety is called Iron Man. Uh, the other factor might be, well, it might just have been a good season for them, but the, the other factor is that I limed the soil um, the winter before I um, planted those, those, so that makes the soil a little bit more alkaline and might free up nutrients that have been locked in if the soil was too acidic i've got no evidence that that, that was the case but and they look fantastically healthy a real sort of vibrant green yes and i think one advantage of the shoots that grow later in the year is there are not so many little pests to mm. uh, crawl around and start eating them and mm. get them before i do so yeah so that's a that's that's a good result uh, another little harvest is the last of my radish uh, i've just pulled these out and actually what, what can you see on this? There's been a bit of nibbling. There's been a bit of nibbling, yeah. I mean, um, if you're trying to sell it, you point out to the customer that that's obviously the tastiest route because <laughs> the experts have had a go at it first, and that those experts will be probably slugs. And, yeah, that's, uh, that's a shame because that's a nice-sized route that's, um, that's really rather been ruined by nibbling. And, actually, if I look a little bit closer, I can see a little bit of splitting at the root as well so that means these are past their best and I, I was planning to take up all my last radishes and take them to the food hub this morning it's friday so trumpington food hub quick little plug 10 to 12, 12 to 12 to 2 at the trumpington pavilion but um i don't think i will now i, I think um if you give veggie away it should be should be good quality stuff so yeah yeah but a bit of a bit of a shame there but there again i've had plenty of good radish this autumn so that's something to um that's, a, that's a, good, a good tip for people. People think of sowing radish as an early crop to have with your early lettuce, but it's also a late crop. You sow it sow in August and September. Right. Um, and especially with the with the uh, changing, what seems to be changing climate, less predictable climate, we're getting these long, warmer autumns. And as long as something gets germinated and gets away in September, then it can continue to grow and uh, provide you with a, a decent harvest as long as you get it before the, before the slugs. 
Right. Uh, another another little task. I've got some. This is not a harvest. I'm not, I'm not going to. No, I'm not going to what, what can you What can you see here, Alan? These, <laughs> these Brussels sprouts leaves. How would you How would you describe them? I'd say on their way out, actually. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Sort of yellow brown. Yeah. Hole, holes appearing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're 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 in poor condition. That's for sure. Yeah, so yellowing old brassica leaves. Some holes due to probably a bit of. Um, probably being eaten by those small snails that seem to be able to climb to the top of any any plant but also some a lot of gray spotting which is a fungal disease so the reason I, i've just cho- chosen to show you these is that this is one of the tasks for well all through the autumn and winter really to collect up the dead and dying brassica leaves take them away get them in the compost heap because they will harbor and spread um disease especially these fungal diseases and also i think they look they look really untidy they're probably going to attract slugs as well so let's get them away from the plants and that's a that's a weekly task is it, is it rather too late to sow anything no no it's not um so we're obviously sowing for crops to harvest next year now mm. um so on this light soil that we have here in in trumpington um you can still sow garlic and winter onions so they're, they're, they're dormant. They're dormant now. You, you get winter onion sets. I mean, these are the small, you know, sort of one, two centimetre diameter uh, little onions that you, you get from um, any reputable garden supplier, such as um, Trumpington. <laughs> a lot of societies trading up. They go in now and they'll start to shoot. Some of my winter onions that I sowed five, six weeks ago, they've got some good healthy green growth on them now. Um, so much so that I'm, I'm a little worried that the allium leaf miner might find them. Uh, yes, well, that was, that was funny. I was going to ask you about that. Mm. As far as I remember, the allium leaf miner is active in October and November, but presumably with the warm weather we've had, they may well be active for longer. So in the uh, website that I read, the active period was September and October, so a bit earlier than you than you said. However, I've also recently seen a webpage saying they keep going into November and nothing with the... This is just another example of our warmer and slightly less predictable climate you know the allium leaf miner um doesn't follow any particular calendar or or, or website um, <laughs> it doesn't know what the date is you no, no they don't i think there's just uh you know days when it's good for them to fly uh, if there's any um pupa that might think right now's a now's a good time to hatch out before you know it you've got them on the wing again and they're they're give them a day and they're laying eggs again so so it could happen even in the middle of january if we had a warm week um I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, this is quite a, quite new to this country, isn't it? It's, so, yeah, so. it's less than twenty years since it was first first observed. So, yeah, I, I don't think we know how it's behaving. I don't think we can make any assumptions. Really, it's. I think it's getting to the point where you probably want to be covering your onions and garlic and leeks all the time they're in the ground. That's. I mean, that, that's a right old pain. Mm. Um, it inhibits weeding. It interrupts your visual um, view of, the, of, your, of your crop so you can see, see how, how it's doing. It, it might mean that if there is an infestation it takes hold and you've got no chance to do anything about it. Not that you can do that much about our leaf miner. I think because our seasons, uh, our autumns are getting longer and warmer and they're like, um, ouch! I'm sorry, the cat just attacked me. <laughs> Maggie? Um, <laughs> yeah, um, with, with warmer and more unpredictable um, uh, seasons, the allium leaf miners go, I mean these creatures they're going to fill they're going to fill gaps they're going to try and expand their exploit their niche they're going to try and expand if this uh, species has been described as having two broods per year well maybe it's going to extend that to three broods a year if the um if the breeding season is, is long is long enough yeah um so we just don't know um yeah.
there you go so yeah so get your get your get your onions and your uh, garlic in if your land is heavier such at the new clay farm allotments near no it's almost almost our sister site now they're they're, they're um they've got much heavier soil including the name at clay farm and with that because it stays wet and cold i think you probably want to delay planting garlic until the new year now probably Nice. Well, at least don't put it all in now in case in case it rots there's a really wet winter uh, but the other thing you can definitely sow now is broad beans so we're talking about the, um, the hardy varieties aqua dolce is the is the usual one um get yeah get them in there get them in now <laughs> yeah so, so get them in and you'll be in broad beans hopefully before the end of may next year so yeah, it's time of, time of looking forward anticipating not just christmas dinner but all those uh, lush early crops uh, next spring right okay thanks very much Dave. my pleasure alan Lovely, that was Dave Fox. And the food hub that Dave mentioned there is one of nine in the city. And you can just go along and get free food. Unlike food banks, you don't need to be referred by anyone. You can just go along. Of course, it's a very good way of reducing food wastes. And supermarkets supply bread and often pastries that they've got from the day before. And often individuals provide fresh vegetables they've grown. And that's the familiar sound of green onions signalling the start of our job section. Uh, Parker's Tavern is recruiting a head chef 42 and a half hours a week with days off together and a pay of up to 50k. Uh, For more information, email apply at parkerstavern.com. And uh, just in case you're wondering, it's not Tristan's chef's job you're applying for. He's chef director, not head chef. Well, a quick summary of other jobs available. Check the social media or website of the ones you're interested in or pop in at a quiet time. A tandoori chef is needed at Prana in Mill Road. Cambridge Oven in Hills Road wants a pastry chef. A senior pastry chef is needed at Clare College, who also want a chef de partie. A pizza chef is needed at the Carpenter's Arms in Victoria Road and also at Aromi. A grill chef is needed at Ed's Easy Diner in the Grand Arcade. A chef or a chef de party is needed at Stem and Glory in Station Road. And a chef de party is needed at the Mill in Granta Place. And at Bills in Green Street, it's a lot of chefs. Uh, Low Carbo in Hills Road is also looking for a chef de party or a commie chef. And the Ivy in Trinity Street is looking too for a commie chef and a chef de party. And chefs at all levels are required at Parker's Tavern in Regent Street. Chefs are needed at the Cambridge Tap in Downing Street, Sticks and Sushi in Wheeler Street, Honest Burger in Wheeler Street and Browns in Trumpington Street. And sous chefs are required by Tatsiki, the Greek restaurant in Mill Road and Pint Shop in Wheeler Street. And that takes us to the end of our programme for today. Uh, don't forget that we are here on Alternate Saturdays at 12, repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm. And of course, we will be available via podcast early in the next week. Coming up next on Cambridge 105 Radio this afternoon is Too Good To Be Forgotten, with an hour of favourites from Cambridge's past spanning two classic decades. Then at 4pm, it's Steffi Callister with music, news and guests from around the city and South Cambridgeshire. And what you might have missed is at 6 o'clock. That's our weekly look at the big talking points locally, along with guests that we've been hearing from on air over the past week. And then at 7 o'clock, we enter O'Reilly Country, the weekly programme featuring the best of country and Americana. 
But that's all from us. We'll be back on the 4th of December with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.